different to how Luke records it. They're doing so because something stood out in the retelling of the story to them than others. And they're focusing in on those things that stood out. And each of them has a unique perspective. It's like four elements of a choir, the sopranos and altos and tenors and basses. They all have a slightly different melody or slightly different harmony. But when it's all blended together, you get a richer, fuller sound. And so actually what happens when we've got the four parts of the Gospels, we're richer for having these four elements, not poor. So uh, just, just in passing, just if, you, if, you, if we're, we're jumping across different versions uh, of the crucifixion across the Gospels, and you're saying, well, why are they all different? That's why. Okay, I just wanted to put that out there. Let's read John. Now, it was the day of the preparation of Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, behold, your king. And they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified, and they took Jesus. He went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. And there they crucified him. And with him, two others, one on either side, and Jesus in between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It says, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription of the, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Aramaic and Latin and Greek. And so the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts. One part for each soldier, also his tunic, but the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let's not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. And this was to fulfill the scripture which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross was Jesus, of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch, held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he says, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up. Spirit. I want to focus on the words of Jesus to his mother, to a small group of people that were brave enough to follow. I want you to know it was incredibly brave that these people, these, these four ladies and John, were incredibly brave in being there. Remember, whenever Jesus rose from the dead and appeared to the apostles in the upper room, the door was locked. Why was the door locked? Because they were hiding. They were hiding from the Romans because they were af- afraid for their lives. Where are the disciples now? They're in hiding. They're afraid for their lives. And yet, these people are here. They're at the event while others hid. So you've got four women and one guy. They're well outnumbered. Where were these apostles in the greatest hour of need? Where's Peter? Oh, Lord, uh, even though all forsake you, I'll never forsake you. Well, where is he? He's hiding. It's not there. The only one from all these men who followed him was John. 
And it's amazing, really. When, you know, when Jesus is doling out all the food, thousands will be there. Tens of thousands will be there. Whenever they're healing sick, they'll get on boats and they'll get in carts and they will travel for hours and hours and hours from all over the region just so Jesus could heal them. When Jesus preached the words, hundreds of people heard them and says that no one has ever taught with such authority like this before. You know, except whenever they didn't like it and then a lot of people left. But now Jesus is at the hour of his sorrow. And it started in the upper room and there was 12. Only 12. And then 11 when Judas left. They go to the garden. 11 becomes three. Peter, James, and John go into that private place while Jesus prays. Then we get to the cross. Thousands, which became a dozen, which became three, is now one. And it's not that different today. You know, this place was full a few Thursday nights ago when we had a concert. Not so many people show up whenever you announce that there's a prayer meeting. Jesus is at the cross, surrounded by these women. Uh, three of them are named Mary. It's just interesting. Mary is just a really popular name. Um, there's Mary. There's Mary. Oh, there's another Mary. Mary's a popular name. It, it came from Miriam, Moses' sister, and so it just was a very popular name. Mary, um, there was at least a half a dozen different Marys recorded for us in the New Testament. Uh, one is Mary Magdalene. Now, we don't know nearly a, as much about her as we like to think we do. There's a lot of stories around about her, but we don't know that much about her. What we do know is that she was there with her Lord when he was at his lowest. Then there's Mary, wife of some guy, Clopas. We think this guy is the same man who Jesus walked with on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, 18. We think. We're not sure. We think. What we do know the one thing that we know about this woman is that when Jesus was at his lowest, she was there. And for this to be the one thing recorded in history about her, I think that's pretty amazing. I think that's a fantastic. When everyone else ran, she was there. What, what a thing to be remembered for. Three Marys. Um, then his mother's sister, probably Salome. And then John. Five people from thousands down to five. But let's talk about Mary, the mother of Jesus. She's standing there looking at her son dying on the cross. That simple phrase from verse five, it fills you with wonder, doesn't it? It's an incredible thing. What was she thinking about as she stood there? What was she thinking? Was she replaying the, her memories of his life through her mind? Did she start back with the angel Gabriel and his words to her, which said, you're highly favored and blessed among all women? And going, I, well, I don't exactly feel highly favored and blessed now. I'm not really feeling that, Gabriel. I mean, we're told in that encounter with Gabriel that she was troubled because it put her relationship with Joseph in doubt. It put her reputation, it put her life in danger. All these things were questions for her, and yet she still said, be it to me according to thy will. That's some amazing strength there. It's powerful stuff. 
And then make no mistake about the trauma it would be for a teenage girl, heavily pregnant, newly married, traveling to Bethlehem, no room for them in the inn, and then having to make do. Now, I've been in maternity wards and, and birthing suites whenever my two girls were being born. It is no small thing giving birth. And that's whenever you've got all the highly trained NHS staff on the most modern drugs that the NHS will give you. She didn't have that. She had her husband. Now, ladies, have a look at your husband. That's the guy who's going to deliver your baby. That's the guy who's going to get you through. Do you understand the miracle now? <laughs> now, now, imagine King Herod. Now, I was going to put a picture up. I was in Bethlehem two years ago. And I took a picture from Bethlehem, and you can see Jerusalem on the hill. You can see it. It's, it's five miles away. It's very close, actually, whenever you see it. And, and so Herod, who lives five miles away, next thing you know, he's sending troops. And it's a very short horse ride down there, and he wants to kill your baby, and you have to run, and you have to hide, and you have to live as a refugee. This is what it was like to be the mother of Jesus. It was not easy. But now imagine what it like have been to stand feet away from your son, who you had risked everything to give life to, and to see that life ebb away and to be helpless. There stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother. And no doubt as she looked at Jesus, something came to her, when Jesus was just an infant, back in Luke 2, and they went up to the temple, and there was an old man, Simeon, who had this encounter with. Now, Mary and Joseph probably didn't know who Simeon was, but we're told in Scripture, Simeon was a godly man, and he was given the promise that he wouldn't die until he saw the Messiah. And so I have this picture of this kind of really old sort of codger, kind of just really old, like older than anyone else that was in the vicinity. He's just kind of staring at Babies as they walk in. Is it that one? <laughs> is it that one? that one? Who's this guy? What's he doing? Is it, is it this one? And then Mary and Joseph walks in, and his heart skips a beat. And he walks over to Mary and Joseph, and he says something to them that might be a wee bit unusual for him to hear. Can I hold your baby? And Mary's kind of looking, you know that thing that all moms do? So going, okay, woman maybe ask, but why does the man want to hold my baby? I mean, he's really old. Will he be able to hold my, will he drop my baby? Oof. And then Sue so says, right, well, you, you're a wee bit old, but you look normal. So yes, you can hold our baby. And then he takes Jesus in his arms. He cranes his neck back and opens up and he says, now my eyes have beheld your salvation. And then he turns to Mary and Joseph and says, this child will be for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that will be spoken against and then he looks at Mary and says, and a sword will pierce your soul. And Mary's hearing that and thinking, what on earth is happening now? You know, I have no idea what that means. So I'm thinking, can I have my baby back now, please? <laughs> this, is, this is the weirdest dedication ever. You know, could you imagine if we're having a dedication here and I, I pray and then I say, you know, oh, this is brilliant, this is amazing. Oh, by the way, parents, you're going to get really bummed out about this really soon, but it's okay, I'm happy I can die now. It's a really weird dedication to give. 
but a sword's going to pierce my soul. Now, what does that mean? Well, now Mary gets it. Mary is understanding now because she sees her son dying on the cross and that sword, it feels like it's just piercing her soul for God knew that choosing her to carry the Christ would make her so excited and wonderful to be that mother in those early years and to raise him up. But she would also have to bear the burden of watching him suffer in a way that no one else could understand. We read so little about her life She lived in the background, but here at the most difficult moment of his life, she is standing by him. Now listen, only a very few women can understand what it is like to stand by helplessly and watch your child die. Of whatever age, the age doesn't matter, age is irrelevant, it makes no difference to the mother. Now I can't fathom, I can't even begin to fathom that. Most people here could not begin to fathom what that would be like. But we could go up the road to the Ulster Hospital, to the ICU intensive care. We could got, catch a glimpse of mothers pacing the floors at all hours, unable to sleep. Their son, their daughter is on a ventilator, is waiting surgery, waiting for a donor. But even that does not compare to having to watch your son be crucified, where the crowds are cheering at making it as agonizing as possible for him. And you can do nothing. She was the first one to kiss the brow that is now crowned with thorns. She held those hands now pierced with nails. Disciples, friends, family have all abandoned him. But his mother stands at the foot of the cross. How how can you even fathom what's going on in her mind right now? Now, we have no record of, of her saying anything at the cross. Maybe she did, maybe she didn't. We just don't know. Was she numbed by the trauma or was she just trying to stare into his eyes as if to say, I'm not looking at you as my son. I'm looking at you as, as my savior and I, I'm willing you to on because I know that if you can lock eyes with me, it might just make it that wee bit more bearable and remember why you're doing this. I don't, I don't know. What I do know is that anyone else would have ran from this sight. What I do know is that anyone else would have just screamed out at the horror of it or fainted at the sight, but Mary stands. There's a strength and there's a dignity. That same strength that she displayed when Jesus was being born, that same strength is coming through now as he is being murdered. The sorrow is real, but still waters run deep. I don't think there's a record of such bravery anywhere else in Scripture. In the face of laughing soldiers and taunting leaders and jeering crowds, she stands at the foot of the cross. And then Jesus turns and says to his mother, Woman, behold your son. He says to John, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple takes her into his own. He takes her on as his own mother. She takes him on as a son. Mary, from that day forward, lived with John. What happened to Mary after that? Well, history has two versions of it. One version is that Mary dies about 11 years later, aged 59, in Jerusalem, John's second home. Another tradition says that Mary traveled with John to Ephesus. We know that John was pastor there for a while in Ephesus, and that she went to Ephesus and died in Ephesus there. Two traditions, we have no idea which is which. What we do know is true, though, is that she wasn't raised into heaven. The 
she wasn't assumed into heaven. The Catholics have a doctrine called the Assumption of Mary, which they believe then she didn't die, but was raised and ascended into heaven. Um, they call it the Assumption, which I think is a really good description of it because it takes quite an assumption that this happened. Um, it's not founded on anything in the Bible. It's not founded in anything in history or even tradition of the earliest church. It's just not there. What we do know is that John took her in and cared for her. And she saw out her life, however long it was, wherever it was, with this son who Christ had given to her. Now, there's lots of things that are amazing to me. Here's one of the amazing things to me. Suffering is all-consuming. Suffering is all-consuming. If you've been dealing with a chronic back condition, for example, when it flares up, it's about all you can think about. It just is very distracting. It affects everything. It affects how you move. It affects what you can do. It affects everything. And all you can do is talk to people and say, I, I would love to, but my back is killing me. The same is true if you're on a downward spiral with depression or grief. It doesn't matter if the pain that you're going through is physical or mental or emotional. It's all-consuming. What is amazing to me is here is Jesus during the most painful part of his life, just before his death, and he's concerned with somebody else. He's thinking about how I can honor my mother. How can I show honor and favor to her? This woman who gave birth to me, I want to make sure she's taken care of. I want her to make sure that uh, she's going to look after John. I want to make sure that one of my own, John, is going to look after her. Rather thinking about himself, he's thinking about others. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. He's thinking about others. Today, you're going to be with me in paradise. He's thinking about others. Behold your son. He's still thinking about others. Now, he goes on to say, I thirst, and he begins to feel the pain. But at this point, he's thinking about others. Now, I've used the word affection here to describe the scene because I see it going two ways. I see the affection that Mary has for her son Jesus, which we've been talking about. But now let's just close by talking about the affection that Jesus has for her and for John. And I see it summed up in two words, honor and family. Jesus honors his mother here. Joseph, his earthly father, his legal father, had been dead for a while, but he doesn't forget to honor his mother. The command of Exodus 20 is repeated in Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first command with promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. It's a command, obviously, first of all, given to young children growing up in their parents' homes. If you still live at home, then that still applies to you. But show me anywhere in all of Scripture where honoring your parents is commanded to stop, where you outgrow that command. Yes, when you move out and you leave and cleave and you form your own family and you get married, you're, you're not under their control. But you never escape the obligation towards the people who raised you. Now, last week was Mother's Day, and maybe we could have preached this last week and really laid it on thick. But let me ask you this in passing. How do you treat your parents? How, regardless of your age, does the example of Christ on the cross make us think about our priorities? I mean, we say we're busy, 
and it's not convenient, but Christ is dying on the cross for the sins of mankind, and he still had time to think about his mom. Proverbs 23, 22 says, don't despise your mother in her old age. See, this is a sacred duty, a sacred duty. Family is sacred. It is so precious, in fact, it's the primary way that God reveals himself and his relationship to us. He talks about family. He's our father, that we're his children, that we're sons and daughters brought in by adoption because Christ has married his bride, the church, and we're brought into the family and made his own. So, so this is huge. The fact that Christ, while dying for sins, goes on the cross, takes time to honor his mother, means that there's no excuse for us to not honor our family. And it's important that we say, look, even if you're serving in church and say, oh, I'm really busy, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. Look, I, I love the fact that there's so many in our church that serve. <coughs> but it's a dishonorable service if you're neglecting your duties to your family. Now, I could spend all my time prepping sermon material and visiting. Maybe people would say I should do a wee bit more of those things. But if I work to the detriment of honoring my family, my service here is dishonorable. Now, there's something else here, though. The second word, this Christ provides family. He's just not making sure that she's set up for life. His brothers, his, his, you know, Mary and Joseph had other children after Jesus. They would have been legally obliged to step in. But he didn't have to make this whole thing an issue, but rather he makes sure that his mother and John, the disciple whom he loved, are able to inspire and encourage and support one another in the days that lie ahead. Do you remember this story whenever Jesus is talking about the rich young ruler? And he wants to get to heaven, and he says, look, it's so hard to, you know, for a rich man to get into heaven. It's easier for the camel to get through the eye of the needle, that story. This is what happens just after. Verse 28, then Peter turns around and says, yeah, but Jesus, we give up everything to follow you. We're not like that guy, sure we're not. And then Jesus says, look, I t- I'm telling you, there is no one who's left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for the sake, for my sake and for the gospel. Now, this is the who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands. Now, in this life, where in this life are you going to get a hundred children? Or perhaps more importantly, where on earth are you going to get a hundred mothers from? The answer is the church. The answer is the church, the family of God. Jesus says to Mary, look on John as your son, and to John, look on Mary as your mother. He's showing us how our needs are met when we have left everything to follow him. And that's the church. In fact, Paul goes on in Acts 20 uh, and says that Christ purchased the church of God with his own blood. Therefore, one of the gifts from the cross that we see in, in Jesus speaking to Mary and, his, and John is that one of the gifts is the church, a loving, caring, sustaining, encouraging family beyond our family. And it's great encouragement to our faith that he illustrates the meaning of the church the way he did in the relationship between John and Mary. Now I wonder, just as we finish, 
Do you think about church like that? Do you think about our church like that? Or is church just a place where you go? It's just that boring thing that you have to kind of go through. That's not how the Bible was trying to picture the church. And it's certainly not what it was created to be like. The church is to be that network of support for one another where we encourage and support one another in the Lord. If the world has turned on you, the church is here for you. If your family neglects you or rejects you because you have, you've accepted Christ and you're living for him, then you have fathers here. The men of the church, we are to be father figures to you. If you've lost a mother, then there are mothers here for you. There are brothers here. There are sisters here for you. There's family here for you. And so Jesus purchased the church with his own blood and ordained that in it bereft mothers can find sons and sons can find mothers and fathers that there would be no one, no one who belongs to the body of Christ that would be without a caring family today. Isn't that a wonderful gift, even on the cross, what Christ has given to us? So look, what I'm asking is, are you part of the church? I'm not asking how much you attend. I'm not even asking if you're a member or not. I'm asking if you, you're part of what this church was created to be. Family. You're part of that. You're part of the family. Look around you. Uh, as the service finishes, take a look around you. Behold your father. Behold your mother. Behold your sons. Behold your daughters. That's how we are to think of each other. That's how we're supposed to treat one another. People around you are an extension of the affection God has for you. Which makes church so much more than just a place you go. Somewhere you belong. People, it's the family you belong to. I pray that when we think of the cross and we think of what Christ said to his mother, that we think of our church and we think of each other and behold the gifts that God has given to us because of the cross. Our family, our church family. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have no idea what it would have been like for Mary that day to stand and watch Lord, we are in awe of the testimony of these five people, of the three Marys, of Salome and John, who despite all the reasons why they shouldn't be there, refused to leave your side. And Lord, as we listen again to those words that you said to, to Mary and to John, Lord, perhaps maybe for the first time we see a deeper truth here. We see something that echoes throughout history. 
of what has been provided from the cross. That those without mothers, those without fathers, those without children, those without siblings, those without a family, have a family now through you. Lord, may we leave here this morning feeling richer because of that. May our hearts be fuller because of that. And may it inspire us, Lord, to love one another more fully now. And we ask this in your lovely and precious and beautiful name. Amen. I'm going to ask the musicians to come up. We're going to sing um, another piece, and then we'll go straight into our time of communion.